Hey everybody welcome back to another episode of the sapient today we have a very special guest her name is natalie hi natalie welcome to the episode hello thank you so much for having me i'm so excited to be here uh-huh could you please introduce yourself sure um so as you said my name is natalie um i'm 24 and i'm a novelist from hampshire in england um and another thing that you might want to know about me for the podcast is that i have cerebral palsy and use a wheelchair full time so um yeah so but also you write books right i do yeah that's that's my job i'm a novelist yeah mm-hmm. so how many books have you written till date um well the number of published books i have out is is two at the moment mm-hmm. um but i'm almost done with the third one in that series of books which is going to comprise of four titles um so hopefully by the end of this year um i'll have my third one out and what genre do you like to write on um well these ones i've got out at the moment are thrillers um and they're set in a kind of dystopian sort of alternate um future although saying that i love writing stories for um younger audiences as well um so one day i'd like to sort of explore that a bit more Mm-hmm. I have too many ideas rattling around in my brain just for the one series. So. <laughs> Got it. So, uh yeah, so uh, I I was really interested, you know, in understanding what was the like writing process for you. You know, like um so you just imagine and write or you know you you just sit down to write and you know you come up with concepts and you know story plots. Um yeah, that's a really uh good question because my process has changed quite a lot um from the beginning of the series to now um because when i started writing the series it, it was a very long time ago and i was 12 um so my process then was um hide the notebooks under my desk at school and hope no one notices <laughs> um and especially in the more the lessons that i was less apt at so um maths was a key key lesson that got sacrificed often to my uh, um my attempts to finish my first novel mm-hmm. um the years passed and um i've refined my writing process uh, somewhat now you know i have my own space to write and i can choose where to write based on sort of various things weather is a key one if it's sunny i like to write outside mm-hmm. um and that's a luxury i'm still not used to even though i left school quite a few years ago now um but i still remember what it was like to have to hide my notebooks under the desk at school so <laughs> every day i don't have to do that is a good day writing wise <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know mathematics was your sacrificial lamb right Yes, yeah. I mean, I did I did pass, but um only just. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's I have nothing but respect for those who are brilliant at maths. Uh-huh. I am not one of those people. <laughs> I have um one very specific skill set um and that's telling stories and writing stories. So, yeah, unfortunately Apologies to any of my ex-maths teachers if they're listening but yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, uh so uh, like your writing style must be you know like quite unique to you of course. But you know who is that writer you know whom from whom you take that kind of inspiration and you know lean on when you know you have to produce a quality content? Uh that's another really great question. It's a tricky one to answer because I have so many writers who I really um admire and look up to mm-hmm. um and the reasons that I look up to them are always different so um uh, my 
one of my absolute favourite ever writers is um, the British author Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. And um, what I like about his work is that he can, his imagination really knows no bounds. So just when you think you can't be surprised um, by him anymore, mm-hmm. he does something else. And um, he writes across genres, which is a really difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he makes it look easy, which is, um, you know, it's something I'm always kind of admired about him. Um, another of my favourite writers um, is the British author Cressida Cowell, who writes um, mostly fantasy books. And um, the series that she first became known for um, was the How to Train Your Dragon series, which later became the the DreamWorks film. Mm-hmm. And what I love about um her style of writing is even though she makes it very accessible for all audiences to read from young children up to their grandparents you can tell that she's she's done lots and lots of research and she you can tell that she thinks about every single word Mm -hmm. and that every single word um belongs in that story and she knows exactly what she's doing um but without ever feeling like She's sacrificed the story into look how clever I am, which um, some writers do. They have a tendency to want to show off about how much research they've done. But with Cressida Cowell's work, the story is always the thing that you focus on the most. Um, but it's made so much more complex and beautiful by all her research. So, yeah, but there's there's I could answer this one question for the next hour and a half because <laughs> there's so there's so many wonderful wonderful writers in the world uh-huh. and they all have a different different um magic powers so mm-hmm. so and also uh, like can i ask you when you know what time do you feel is you know very good for your creativeness you know in the, either in the early mornings or in the late nights you know, which is the sort of period, you know, when if you sit down in that period, you know, anything that flows from your pen is an absolute, you know, like gold mine. Um, I wish I wish I had a period that was that consistent that I knew would be great. Uh-huh. Um, the time the time I like to um, write the most is probably sort of early evening time. I don't know what it is about that. Just I think because things have quietened down sort of around me a bit so i kind of and also i've got the whole day's kind of um worth of thinking that i've been doing Mm -hmm. so oftentimes um in the evening time i kind of do sometimes get the sort of the slightly uh intangible and kind of mystic Mm -hmm. sensation where i'm like oh this is this is feeling um easier but um often I have days where um, I think, oh, this is going to be really easy. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out to be very, very hard. And I feel like I'm sort of crowbarring words out of my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have days when I start thinking, oh, this is going to be a really difficult day. Um, and it actually flows a lot easier than that. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a roulette game, really. But, yeah, I think probably sort of the early to mid evening times when I'm sort of in the zone most often, I would think. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, like, do you find yourself often, you know, suffering from, you know, like writing paralysis or, you know, just drawing out of content? Um, not often, thankfully. I have had periods. Um, I had a period a couple of years ago um, where I was very, very, um ill mm-hmm. and because because of how ill i was um mentally i really i struggled and i had what i would call writer's block mm-hmm. um but i don't i know that that's you know a controversial term among writers but that's <laughs> what i've always called it mm-hmm. um don't kill me fellow writers who don't believe in writer's block um <laughs> but i have a couple of periods like that but most of the time even if i'm finding the writing very difficult i still can write it even if it's something that i don't think is good enough for the final product so i won't keep mm-hmm. um you know but the big the big thing about writing 
is that as long as you keep putting one word in front of another you will eventually finish and then once you've done that bit you can do the editing and the polishing and the fine tuning and the moving things around and the redrafting and all the other work that Mm -hmm. goes into it but um that's often what i tell myself when i'm really struggling i just say to myself one word in front of the other and then that word becomes a sentence and that sentence becomes a paragraph and those paragraphs become chapters and those chapters become books Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to keep on plugging at it, really. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and also uh, what I feel is, you know, there, there are periods, let's say, uh, you know, patches in, um, uh, you know, a writer's journey where, you know, sometimes, uh, it, you know, it, it seems like, you know, whatever content or, you know, whatever they're writing, you know, it's just absolute garbage and, you know, they don't want to publish out there. Um, you know, has that ever happened to yes. you? Yes. Um, certainly it has, um, in the drafting phase, mm-hmm. um, I never, I'm never happy with the first draft of anything I do. Mm-hmm. I always, the first draft is the bit where I sort of have the raw ideas and it's kind of a big chaotic mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sort of the real work bit of the job, um, comes after that where, um, so um the book that i've just bought out um so my latest release family ties yeah family ties i redraft i redrafted six times before okay. i was happy with it mm-hmm. um and even there even then you know that you could spend the rest of your life mm-hmm. um rereading and you would always find things that you could do better or different mm-hmm. um but i think my ultimate aim is to do the best job that I can um, when I make things. And I don't put them out until I'm reasonably confident I've done the best job that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but saying that, I do often beat myself up like, oh, oh I could have done that so much better. Mm-hmm. Or I shouldn't have put that bit there. I should have put it somewhere else uh-huh. instead or things like that but broadly i don't give up until i'm at least mostly happy with what i've done mm-hmm. so um you know like once you have sort of you know published the book and it's out there sometimes do you feel you know like okay this uh, you know sort of thing could be added or you know this could be you know subtracted from the content um once i publish a work i don't go back and change it mm-hmm. um i kind of i often i move on to the next one and i'm kind of that takes up my focus mm-hmm. but of course i especially because i've lived with this series for so long mm-hmm. so um sometimes when i do readings and i read back to my own my own books mm-hmm. um sometimes I will think to myself, oh, um, that's an interesting choice, but I could have done it um, different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that to myself. But I think, you know, I've been very fortunate that um, most of the people that read my stories seem to like them very much. So, you know, I don't think I do too badly at it um, the first time around. Mm-hmm. But I am a perfectionist, but then there comes a point where you could redraft and edit forever. Mm -hmm. And there comes a point where you kind of have to let it go and let it out in the world and let people and readers in particular Mm -hmm. make what they will of it. And um, that's kind of out of your hands, really. Okay. And, you know, um, so the recent book, um, you know, of yours, uh, how do you think it was received by you know those people who had read the first book? Like, did they see an art of you know like development and you know uh, better story plots? Um, well, I don't often check my own reviews because, um, as I say, I quite often I move once I've published one work, I'm sort of knee deep in the in the next. Um, but the reviews I have had for Family Ties have been very, very um, pleasing to read. And um, there's a real sense of satisfaction for me when I read a review and I think, um, 
this reviewer's um, interpretation of my work is it kind of shows to me that I have done what I set out to do. I mean, readers will always have their own interpretations of things, and that's wonderful. But um, if the core of what I was trying to do is reflected in, in a review, mm -hmm. then I, I feel as if I've done my bit of the job well enough. I've held up my side of the bargain, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, do you think that, you know, cerebral palsy itself has ever you know, like come in the way of you and your, you know, creative work and has it impacted, you know, the way you work on a regular basis? Uh, that's another really great question. Um, I think the, the way in which physically it impacts me the most is partly due to my own stubbornness and partly just because of how, um, it's how I feel I work best. Um, when I'm drafting a new work, I will always write it out longhand, um, by hand in notebooks. Mm -hmm. um, and part of my cerebral palsy is uh, it makes um, my fine motor skills, mm -hmm. like handwriting, um, difficult. And I have to concentrate quite hard. Um, and it can get quite painful. So I don't, I don't quite know why I do that to myself every time. <laughs> um but it, it's just it's how i've always worked and it just seems to work reasonably well from that point of view mm -hmm. the interesting part of it i think is even though my books are novels and their first purpose is to entertain and they're not autobiographical and the characters in the book are not just pale representations of me they are their own people so to speak i do think a lot of the themes um crystallized for me mm -hmm. because of things that had happened to me because of my disability mm -hmm. um so one of the big themes in the in the entire series mm -hmm. is prejudice because um it's set around the interactions of two groups of people mm -hmm. um both of whom hate the other one um just on principle mm -hmm. based on where they live basically and based on what their assumptions are mm -hmm. about those people because of where they live mm -hmm. and i definitely know what that feels like to be at the sharp end of people's prejudice i mean prejudice is um you know as old as the hills mm -hmm. there's been so throughout the whole history of time a group of people have said i don't like you because you're not like me mm -hmm. um but to be at the sharp end of that especially during my childhood you know when i was at primary school mm -hmm. i found that really difficult and i never sort of felt as if i was kind of accepted not until i went to secondary school which um happened much later mm -hmm. and i think those kind of those kind of things are reflected in the book because it's that kind of judgmental um nature and the reductive nature of thinking like that so um you are an outsider therefore you have no value to me mm -hmm. and there's nothing that you can teach me etc that kind of reductionist view of people mm -hmm is is what causes a lot of the damage mm -hmm. um in my books so i think a lot of it is kind of influenced by the life experiences i've had and i don't think i would have those experiences were it not for my disability and such so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, you know um it seems like you know you have gone through uh let's say a period of evolution where you had to you know certainly adopt too many things um, but you know, it, it almost also at the same time feels like, you know, you believe in no pain, no gain kind of thing, you know, where you're constantly punishing yourself in order to come up with good content. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not advocating that anybody else should deliberately, um, do things to make their life more difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, but without, without, um, reaching for the 
tiny violins of self-pity and wallowing for a bit um because of uh, the profundity of my physical disability so i use a wheelchair full time mm-hmm. yeah well you know um can't walk at all really and because of those things absolutely everything i do is more difficult than it otherwise would have been mm-hmm. um so i kind of grew up with that as my f- framework mm-hmm. i was like um things are going to be hard um but i'm gonna carry on doing them anyway because i like doing them and the the only thing i don't find difficult Mm -hmm. is telling stories that i can do very easily Mm -hmm. so that was what kind of drew me i think to writing in the first place but um yeah i will i care very much about my work and i care very much about the readers of my work so there isn't really an end to which I won't go in order to to get the the story that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately for me, uh, it hasn't landed me in too much hot water just yet. <laughs> just yet, yeah. <laughs> but there's still time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Surely. Yeah, so, uh, you know, stepping a little bit away, um, you know, from the topic of novels and writing, um, you know, I do have a pretty, let's say, wild questions for you here. Um, you know, like, uh, so one of the questions is, many people, you know, like, say that, you know, British food is one of the most boring food, like, you know, out there. So what's your <laughs> opinion on it? Yes. Um, well, I'm afraid my fellow countrymen and women, I would have to agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I, we have certain things that we have in britain that i do love like uh-huh. we have what we call the full english breakfast uh-huh. um, which involves sausages eggs bacon mm-hmm. um and lots of other ways in which to um tempt fate with heart disease mm-hmm. um but i <laughs> but i think that that is our kind of culinary pinnacle which <laughs> when you look around the re- when you look around the rest of the world mm-hmm. you know um i don't travel as much as i would like Uh but um i've had thai food and french food indian Mm -hmm. and chinese and i look at all those cuisines and i think oh my god there's so much so many flavors and colors Mm -hmm. and textures and things like that and a lot of english food is beige yes huge amounts of it is beige so it's like (laughs) you know I I have to say, even though I should be defending my country to the hill, uh-huh. I do think that in terms of food, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think pretty much the rest of the world has an edge over us in terms of of food. I think, but you know, we have we have our uh, full English breakfast, so we we're happy because <laughs> we um, in in England we have a very peculiar fondness for things that i'm sure um seem very strange if you if you don't <laughs> live in the um in england yeah um my big culinary sin where i live is that i do not like tea okay which even though is not british in origin mm-hmm. consider it like a staple of british culture uh-huh to the extent where we laughably call it english breakfast tea yes even though it isn't english at yeah. all uh, um but um but i cannot stand tea mm-hmm. yeah um and that makes that is another thing that makes me a pariah mm-hmm. to a lot of people in england because i don't drink tea which is basically the equivalent of of telling an english person that you don't breathe air <laughs> it's it, yes it's kind of very it's very very frowned upon in england yes um but yeah i guess you know i do find it you know that makes uh, pretty out. ironic you know when um you know when english people especially you know call tea as their own i'm like yeah that's pretty ironic you know because you just took something that yes. was not yours and you just called it that's you know it's mine <laughs> yes exactly um we are unfortunately in 
history and indeed sort of still now we are rather prone to that taking stuff that's mm-hmm. not ours and claiming it as our own that <laughs> seems to be our seems to be our national raison d'etre oh yeah um, yeah at times i'm gonna i'm gonna get in big big trouble in my own country now um but nonetheless nonetheless um i once heard someone refer to england especially in times gone by mm-hmm. as the toddlers of the world in that they go around going this is mine oh yeah whenever they find <laughs> stuff they want and just snatch it yes i mean <laughs> i mean this but, coming from an indian i can i can i definitely attest to that you know i can i can say yeah <laughs> I yes i mean tea i mean tea our, our so-called cultural icon <laughs> is of course indian it's yes. not british <laughs> so i'm kind of like you know but i feel like our fondness and sort of fake ownership of tea uh-huh. is kind of um symptomatic of our kind of national foibles in that we think we're much more important than we are mm-hmm. we think we're much more you know we think we 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 basically think we own everything which yep. of course we don't and um yeah it's especially in the last few years well i mean especially with um colonial past and everything but in the last few years mm. of my lifetime is when i've really found it quite difficult to be english because i'm like oh my god <laughs> what must we what must we look like on the world stage <laughs> yeah. um, you know and it's kind of as you say we we have a strange very strange culture in england where we're like we're great but also we will take absolutely everything that we like oh yeah and never mind about the people that actually did the work to put it there in the first place Mm -hmm. but um i'm gonna get excommunicated now the government (laughs) is gonna come and deport me yeah i mean i (laughs) think that's a big issue in um you know like your country right now is it that you know like people can't post really offensive or you know thought-provoking um you know social media posts because they're getting arrested and you know they're they're landing in themselves into trouble recently yeah i mean in england we don't you know when i say the government is going to come and arrest me i am joking mm-hmm. i don't think that's actually going to happen but there certainly is a percentage of people in england who absolutely believe that England can do no wrong mm-hmm. and everybody else in the world is inferior um, to us and um, one of them was Prime Minister until very recently um, so <laughs> it, you know it's um, hi Boris yeah. by the way if you're listening I am talking about you uh-huh. um, deal with it uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know there is a huge well, I don't know actually if it is huge or if it's sort of a vocal minority, but there is a significant portion of English society who, if anybody says, maybe we're not, you know, this invincible juggernaut of awesomeness that everyone seems to think, mm-hmm. or or indeed if anyone quietly points out the origin of so-called English breakfast tea, and <laughs> um, they like you, is it? They might get. <laughs> Yeah, they might they might get descended on by uh-huh. a mob of flag waving um, alt right lunatics. But I'm hoping that eventually the pendulum will have to swing the other way because I think it's getting to the point now where I don't. Th- but every time I say this, things get worse. So I'm going to regret this. <laughs> but getting to the point now where I think we can't really look much more ridiculous. Mm-hmm to the rest of the planet yeah so eventually by sheer force of probability things have to improve uh-huh. somewhen surely yeah because but yeah i recently you know saw that um you know in london i think you know a few young boys were you know arrested because um you know they said something about the in a woke culture and you know like let's say they they said something that was thought provoking and you know it, it was not entirely illegal but you know they essentially touched few nerves that they were not supposed to touch you know therefore you know yes. they were arrested so i thought damn you know yeah. uh, the the country you know in which uh, even till today i think <clears throat> you know i have seen in many 
many debates you know against you know colonialism and you know all the uh, stuff that you know when the same country you know has taught us that you know like we gave you democracy and in the same country you know we see that democracy is you know slowly getting choked yeah i think that's very um shoot and i think um i really think that in order for things to get better there has to be a sea change at the top levels of government because the government that we have now mm -hmm. is so is so corrupt <laughs> that they that they don't they don't know how else to operate yeah you know they just go go around like um like you say arresting people for waving bits of paper or whatever <laughs> yeah and um you know it's and meanwhile of course um for instance during lockdowns mm -hmm. um people at in top of my government were you know partying and trying to pass that off as a as a work mm -hmm. um commitment okay while people were ha having to say goodbye to their loved ones you know uh -huh. like I mean, the whole thing is, I mean, I imagine that if I didn't live here, mm -hmm. it would be quite funny. Yeah, I mean, I am, but, I am really trying to contain myself um, because, you know, I mean, you know, if parting was considered yeah. as working, gladly sign me up, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, and all the, all the nurses and all the doctors that were actually, and the scientists and so forth, and uh -huh. the neurologists. None of them were, as far as I know, having Christmas parties. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they could they could a... hardly see you know see their own families. Uh, um... Exactly, and you know, there's a prime minister in my series of novels. Just mm -hmm. to tie it back in with that slightly, and when I created him, mm -hmm. I took out a lot of his scenes because I was like, no, you, no one could be prime minister and be this incompetent or this. <laughs> sort of selfish or whatever and now i re i fully resent every single <laughs> one of those sentences that i took out because obviously i haven't made him stu stupid enough um so i i do i do think to myself you know um all those times i spent agonizing over stuff you were saying thinking like no you must have to have some kind of um degree of sensibleness mm -hmm. in order to have this job turns uh -huh. out that young me was a bit overly optimistic <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> now um... jaded bitter not so young me is resenting <laughs> the fact that um i now look ridiculous because my um my prime minister is in the book is vaguely competent mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously not the done thing around here mm -hmm. but, uh, so uh, here is my suggestion then you know in that case um i think you should write one more book called as inside out prime minister edition oh yeah <gasps> oh that would be so good oh yeah just just, just to you know like just to say suck it you know that would be the biggest suck it statement yeah just document his many failures i mean in tribute and homage to my current government i have in the the later books mm -hmm. so for instance the one i'm writing at the moment in heartfelt homage um to my current government i have mm -hmm. stopped saying to myself oh no you couldn't be this stupid and be prime minister at the same time mm -hmm. i've i've given up censoring that so i, I now just like would you do that thing that's obviously gonna go wrong and has no plausible benefits? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I just like More shove it in yes. and just Yeah. Yeah, I'm like and if anything, like, you know, he's not burning enough houses down or uh -huh. whatever it is that he does. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh I mean, you yeah, know, if uh... if you if you just jotted down all of the you know, like the most stupidest let's say idea that you got in terms of what a premise can do. You know, in the coming, let's say, five to ten years, people might call you as a, you know, like a time traveler because, you know, most of them yeah. would be probably right. Yeah, I mean, you have to laugh, really, but I can only imagine mm -hmm. what a bunch of absolute wallies we must look to anyone else 
anyone who isn't english yes and um i very much you know i'm like this is this was clearly such a bad idea mm -hmm. but um at the time that all this stuff was going on i was you know writing these books and still thinking to myself no nah, i don't think i can get away with making them quite this dim um but that that was a mistake on my part <laughs> that I will seek to rectify in future mm -hmm. future work. Let's call it oversight yeah. instead of a mistake. You know, let's call it oversight and uh, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but in. I love that the thought of that prime minister uh -huh. edition is like I'm definitely going to do that now. That's yeah. Please, please give up. Uh, you know, like a small thought about it. Um, with with oh, the I current will. situation that you know it's going throughout the world um <clears throat> yeah and also just to upset you you know india india uh, is the fifth largest economy it overtook uh, britain very uh, very recently yes yeah i mean just to just yeah. to put it on your face you know <laughs> yeah i mean fair play to you guys i mean you obviously deserve it more than we do because well i say we i don't mean the people of britain i mean the people who are in power uh -huh. But I'm kind of just like, uh, like, I was talking to a friend the other day who is originally from Africa, mm -hmm. and she was explaining to me about this stand-up um, comedy mm -hmm. that she'd seen um, from her own her own um, country, mm -hmm. and she was like, "But he was he was saying that your." Um, your people, your prime minister and so on, partied during lockdown and things like that. And that's ridiculous. That didn't really happen, did it? And I had the sort of dreadfully shameful moment of being like, <laughs> that's not a joke. That's a real thing that actually happened. Damn. It's like the tip of a very big iceberg. But, you know, it's fair play <laughs> to you guys. And pray for those of us that are still living in England, yeah. but also are not um not quite as uh, convinced that the current government are doing a bang up job as they seem to be uh -huh. so like what do you what do you think about you know the cost of living kind of crisis within you know london and all this you know, really developed oh, cities? i mean yeah i mean it really you know i'm very lucky mm -hmm. in that sense like i'm not nearly as poorly off as some people but mm -hmm. I kind of make a point of when I'm on socials or listen to the radio, I kind of make a point of collecting um, stories mm -hmm. of people who are worse hit by it than me mm -hmm. because, I mean, it's such, it's an absolute shame, you know, it's a shame that the government should be carrying but aren't mm -hmm. because they're like, oh, it, us and all our mates are fine yeah um therefore it's acceptable for an elderly lady to have to ride around on the bus all day mm -hmm. for warmth because she can't heat her home yeah. in winter this was you know uh -huh. or it's acceptable for a house in which the main breadwinner is a teacher mm -hmm. to have to have outdoor and indoor coats mm -hmm because they can't afford to heat or it's acceptable to have more food banks than ever. Yeah. Um, with more opening all the time. And those things are not acceptable. And um, I sort of, I read those stories because I need to remind myself mm -hmm. how non, how not acceptable it is. Yeah. Because I think there's a danger when you live, when you live in a place where lots of the media and lots of the government are trying to make that sound normal and acceptable mm -hmm. you you sort of have to work yeah to kind of keep reminding yourself it's not normal it's not acceptable and it should not be like this yeah um but yeah i mean it it's genuinely it genuinely is heartbreaking do you think that you know the situation in ukraine you know acted as kind of uh you know like divergence in terms of you know like the issues that you know people are facing yes i mean i mean the situation in ukraine is another um set of appalling injustices that mm -hmm. break my heart 
Um, but I, I think, as you say, like, I think, especially my own current government, they like to use Ukraine quite a lot as a sort of a crutch mm-hmm. to be like, oh, we're being, we're being really super helpful in Ukraine, mm-hmm. even though we're not being anywhere near as helpful as we could be being. <laughs> um, but let's gloss over that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but so they're like yeah it's all about ukraine for us it's all about helping ukraine Mm -hmm. and um obviously we should be helping ukraine we absolutely should um but i do think there is a slight sense of i don't want to say sort of um relief because obviously i don't know these people but um Mm -hmm. i get the sense that a lot of people in government were probably a little bit pleased mm-hmm. that that those awful events happened because it gave them something else to point at and go yes. look over there don't yeah. look over here um which you know i mean i think that the situation in ukraine is absolutely dire and i think they're sort of facing up to this onslaught with kind of heroism and um bravery and it's it's another thing that's deeply unfair and deeply unjust mm-hmm. um but i am in that place right now again where i'm like i have to remind myself how bad everything is mm-hmm. like ukraine and also the, the situation more domestically as well because you know I don't know. It's as I say, like when I wrote this book, I was like, what's the worst kind of environment I can think of? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have an incompetent prime minister. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have huge, huge um, sections of the population mm-hmm. not being able to afford to eat. Okay. Um, I'm going to have mass, massive um, acts of repeated violence mm-hmm. um you know and i put all these things in because i was like i want to make the worst backdrop i can mm-hmm. and it has given me no pleasure to be right you know it it's getting to the point now where almost i'm not even sure i can categorize my book as dystopia anymore mm-hmm. because it's like you know everything almost that i put in the book when i was 12 Mm -hmm. thinking how bad could things get Mm -hmm. almost all of it has happened in some way shape or form and that's Mm -hmm. sort of terrifying but i think we have to sort of work in whatever small way we can we have to sort of work to try and undo that yeah if we don't i really like fear for what happens to the world um Mm -hmm right from the you know the war in ukraine right down to those elderly people who are getting sick because they can't afford to heat their houses mm-hmm. you know and i think i think at some point there has to be some kind of sea change um and i sort of live in hope that eventually it has to happen because it cannot go on like this. It's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to hope that um, I can, in a few years, I can look back and think, oh, I can categorise the books as dystopian again now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That that would be really nice because at the moment I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) Uh, like this is so awful that it now is, you know, like someone sent me a thing the other day. Mm -hmm about um i think it was about warm banks which is um public buildings that are heating themselves because people can't afford to heat their own houses Uh and i i had a very similar concept um that i wrote about in inside out when i was you know 13. Mm -hmm. and then a friend of mine sent me this link and i was like oh god like that wasn't supposed to really happen that was supposed to be a exaggeration (laughs) you know that wasn't supposed to be a real thing guys like we need to like solve it yeah but yeah i guess in a way Uh my way of sort of dealing with it is writing about it 
I so, wish I'd been yeah, I had to ask you, um, you know, from the general public, uh, you know, are you a time traveler? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I couldn't possibly answer it without compromising um, my serious <laughs> secret plans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I will say that I am a uh, big fan of Doctor Who. Uh -huh. which is a British TV show about a time-traveling alien uh -huh. who goes around trying to improve the human race. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, I could not possibly comment. Okay. So you can you can neither accept it or deny it, is it? I cannot, mm -hmm. indeed. So, um, yeah. That's, that, that is I still invite, in the air, unclear. I invite you, glorious listeners um, and Ganesh, to draw your own um, conclusions based on what I have just said mm -hmm. as to the nature of my time traveling exploits. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, now we are really starting to get, you know, suspicious about your activities. Yeah, I maybe need to work. I need to work maybe on my cover story. I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Doing a doing a podcast is probably not a great way to do that, but hell. it's it's one of the most probably <laughs> the worst ways. <laughs> Yeah, I'm taking hiding in plain sight to a whole new level. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh. I mean, it was really nice talking to you. I mean, um, because it, it, it was, um, you know, important and serious, yet balanced out with, you know, your uh, sense of humor. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have to laugh or you're uh -huh. going to cry, I think. I think you and I feel the same way yeah. about that. <laughs> yes. Um, and also, you know, thank you for being honest about your own country and, you know, your countrymen, um, uh, you know, who might uh, come after you with, you know, torches <laughs> during the night. Uh, so all the best yeah, for that. Uh, with their Union Jacks as their uh -huh. primary weapon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I made a tough stuff. I can, I can cope with it. Uh huh. So yeah, once more, thank you very much for you know g giving me the opportunity to just talk to you. Um, and thank also, thank you so much for having me. Uh -huh. I've loved it. It's been my absolute. I'm gonna say my pleasure, mm -hmm. but also my rage because I've, <laughs> I've definitely got angry uh -huh. um, while I've been talking talking to you. But it's been very cathartic, so I thank you for that sincerely. Uh -huh. Yeah, thank you very much too. And also, if people want to, you know, buy your book, where could they buy it? Um, sure. So. Um, Inside Out is available from many, many online retailers, mm -hmm. um, including Amazon okay. um, and other platforms across the world. It's uh -huh. also available if if you prefer a bricks and mortar bookshop, if you go in mm -hmm. and request a copy of Inside Out by Natalie Hibbard, then um, that should be um, easy to be obtained for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I would be genuinely delighted mm -hmm. um, if any of your wonderful, wonderful listeners would care to join my perfectly formed uh, gang of readers because uh -huh. it's for you guys I, I do this job really. So. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, um, not hopefully, I think you will uh, get some good readers um, because of, you know, the way you have, you know, let's say, um, you know, you're leaving us with some mystery in terms of, you know, tra time travel and, you know, because I made yeah. sure not to bring the plots of your books to the podcast, you know, because I want people to go out and read and actually invest time in terms of, you know, to understand the hard work and the kind of talent that you got. Oh, thank you very much. You've been an absolute superstar at avoiding the plot spoilers, but everyone can play a terrible Prime Minister bingo uh -huh. when they pick the, the book up. Yeah. And just know that in the first drafts, it was much, much worse slash closer to real life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah, there are <laughs> there are many things, um, you know, in between those lines that you just said. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. And um, yeah. if you could just let us know what what you know where people can reach you if they want to reach you out. Uh, sure. So um, 
I'm probably most easily contactable through my website, which is nataliehibbardauthor.co.uk. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Instagram at nataliehibbardauthor and Twitter mm-hmm. at nataliehibbard and Facebook at nataliehibbard as well. So if any of you guys want to reach out and um, chat or read, learn more about the books or hear more of my angry rantings, mm-hmm. um, you can find me in any of those places. Sure. I will, I will also drop your, you know, uh, preferred uh, social media link in the uh, episode uh, bio uh, so that, you know, people can contact you if and when they want to, you know, just talk to you. Um, it was very, uh, let's say it was my pleasure, you know, having you on the episode today. Um, and obviously, frankly, I did not expect this, um, you know, conversation of ours to be as interesting as f- and as funny as it was. So, yeah, thank you very much for, you know, uh, helping me with uh, spending one more hour of my life. You know, it's 50, it's been, uh, it's, it's a pretty long episode that we have had here. So, yeah, thank you very much once again. Thank you so much. I have loved every second of this. It's been fabulous. Well, you are welcome. You are very welcome. So, guys, um, this is the end of the episode. Please go or uh, just just go on Google and just for, search for Natalie and, you know, just go to her website, you know, so that, you know, we can just rank her up in the Google search, you know, um, <laughs> so that she can fight against you know, big multinational corporation authors. You know, she is an author, you know, whom, you know, we genuinely have to support, you know, uh, authors like her in order to, you know, let's say, get many, many more great books and novels and, you know, let's say, future series that has to be written. Um, so, yeah, and also I have pasted her, um, you know, social media link in the episode bio. So, if you got time, just check it out and just, you know, send her a message, you know, so that she also feels encouraged in doing her work. So, thank you very much. Ta-ta.